Good morning. I'm going to ask that any children who want to come a little closer to come on down if you'd like. You can bring your parents with you. They need to hear from me as well. Thank you. Well, for those of you who don't know me, I am not Abraham Lincoln, even though we lived at roughly the same time. Abraham Lincoln lived here in the United States, and I lived in the country of England. My name is Charles Spurgeon, and Pastor Sam has asked me to tell you a little bit about my life and how God used me to, 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 to spread the gospel in England and, and also to encourage people around the world. Now, I was born on June 19th, and the year was 1856. That's about the time that this building was being made here. So that was a long time ago. 1856 in the town of Kelvington, England. And my parents' names were John and Eliza, and my father was a pastor. When I was very young, my, my parents sent me to live with my grandparents, and this was a very important time in my life. I lived there about 10 years, and I loved my grandparents very much. And just like my father was a pastor, my grandfather, James, was also a pastor. I was very close with my grandfather. He spent a lot of time praying for me, and both of my grandparents would, would talk to me often about God and, and read about him from his word. And, my, and they loved me, and, and my aunt also, she was almost like another mother to me. And so it was a wonderful time living together with my grandparents' family. And even though my grandparents were very faithful to teach me about God and about all that Jesus has done for us, I still didn't believe. I knew about God, but I did not know God. I did not know Jesus as my Savior. Later, when I was about 10 years old, I, I went back to live with my parents. And, and my parents loved me as well. I was sad to, to, to leave my grandparents, but it was nice to be back with my parents again. And, and they, too, were very faithful to teach me all about Jesus. I heard the gospel almost every day, how Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and, and how he died on the cross bearing God's punishment for our sins. And then three days later, what happened? Do you know? He rose, that's right, he rose from the grave as the proof that God had accepted his sacrifice for us. I, I heard this every day, but yet I still, not, still did not believe. But that would change when I turned 15 years old. Who's the oldest person on the front row? How old are you? 12, so just a, just a few years older than you are. But before I tell you about the day I was saved, I want to tell you something very important that happened to me just a few months before I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I was visiting my grandparents again, which was always a, a special time for me. I love to be back with them. But this time, they had a visitor staying with them. His name was Richard Neal, and he was a former missionary and, and was now serving as a pastor in a nearby town. And, and while he was at my grandparents' house, he, he, he took a very special interest in me. He, he would spend time and talk with me. And, and even as a, as a little boy, I was very good 
at speaking with people. I was a good communicator, and, and he recognized that. And, and he would talk to me every day about the Lord, and, and he would pull me aside and, and pray for me each day that God would open my eyes to, to the truth of what Jesus had done, and I would believe and, and be saved. He encouraged me every day to, to, to place my faith in Jesus so that my sins would be forgiven and that I would truly not just know about God, but I would come to know God. And then on the day before he left, something really strange happened. We were all seated together, and, and he looked at my grandparents, and, and he looked at me, and he said, I want you to know that I believe this young man not only will one day become a Christian, but he will also one day become a preacher of God's word. And not only that, one day he would preach at the church that I pastor. And little did I know but that all three of those things would happen and would happen soon. He was right about all three. Just a few months later, I came to know Jesus through incredible circumstances. The date was January 6th and the year was 1850. And I was on my way to church. Now, I've told this story hundreds of times, but, but, but I want to tell it again for you all. Again, I was only 15 years old, so, so listen closely, because if I could understand the gospel, you can as well. Now, I sometimes think that I might ha have stayed in darkness and despair even up till now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to, 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 to the church that I normally worshipped at. But, but the snow was so bad when I could go no further, I turned down a little street and came to a primitive Methodist chapel. Now in that chapel, because of the weather, there might have been 12 to 15 people. The minister didn't even show up that morning. I guess he was snowed in. But then a, a poor man who, who was likely a shoemaker or a tailor or, or something of that sort went up into the pulpit to preach. Now he had to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. He wasn't a, a preacher, but the text was simple. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. This was a quote from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 22. Now, this man didn't even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, as I heard him speak, a glimpse of hope for me in that verse. He began this way. My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, that does not take a great deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. Well, a man doesn't need to go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a lot of money to look. Anyone can look, a child can look. But this is what the text says, look unto me. I said he, many of you are looking to yourselves. There's no use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. 
Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look on to me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look on to me. I am hanging on the cross. Look on to me. I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me. Look to me. Who is he speaking for there? That's right. Jesus, right? Jesus sweat great drops of blood on the night he was betrayed. Jesus hung on the cross Jesus was dead and buried. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. And when the preacher, the the, the tailor, the poor man had gotten this far, he had managed to speak for about 10 minutes and it was clear he had gone as far as he could go. Then he looked at me under the gallery And I dare say, with with, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger to the church. He then said to me, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had never been accustomed to having remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it hit me hard. He continued, and you will always be miserable Miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey this text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. (laughs) Then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, Young man, look to Jesus Christ! There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of those in the church of the precious blood of Jesus. Children, that was the greatest day in my life. All the teaching I had heard before, the encouragement I had received about the goodness of God and the love of God, it all made sense and I believed. The prayers of my parents, my grandparents, my aunt, and Pastor Neil had all been answered. God saved me on that day when I looked to Jesus in faith, trusting him to save my soul. And he will save you if you trust him, dear children. I was 15 when I became a Christian. And from that day forward, I knew I wanted to serve God. I I began to help out at church. I read my Bible regularly. And I also read as much as I could about, about the church and about God. My pastor knew I was good at speaking, so he encouraged me, even as a, as a 15-year-old, to become a preacher. And you know what he did? He actually tricked me into preaching my first sermon. Now, don't worry. I don't think Pastor Sam would ever do that to any of you, if you're interested. But he did. He tricked me. He, he, he did his best to train young men to preach and, and he tried to give us as many opportunities as possible. And so he asked me to, to, to travel one day to a small church in Cambridge with another young man who was going to preach, but he was very nervous. And he told me that he thought if I went with him, I could encourage this young man to preach well. 
Well, what I didn't realize is that he told the other young man the exact same thing. And so here we were traveling together, neither, neither of us knowing that the other thought that I was going to preach and I thought he was going to preach. So when we got there, we didn't know who was going to preach. It was a nasty trick. But it fell on me to, to open God's word and, and to teach at this small church. And it ended up going very well. In fact, when I, when I finished, the, the congregation was amazed that someone so young could preach God's word so powerfully. In fact, as I finished the sermon and I prayed, a, a woman in the back of the church yelled out, How old are you? And my response was, Ma'am, I'm not going to answer that question during the service. Let's rise and close in song. And so we closed by singing God's word. And, and after the service, I said, Well, if you want to talk about the message... We can talk about it. And so we had a, a question and answer time. And the very first question again was from the woman in the back. Young man, how old are you? And I said, well, ma'am, I am less than 60. And she was very quick. And her response was, well, based on your appearance, you look like you're less than 16. And she was right. But, but then we had a great conversation about the power and the importance of God's word. A little over a year later, I would be called to serve as the pastor of, of a small church called the Village Church in Waterland. I was 17 years old, 17 years old, and I'd never gone to any kind of schooling on, on how to be a pastor. We call those seminaries. But this doesn't mean that I wasn't being taught or that I wasn't trying to learn as much as I could about how to be a faithful pastor. I read every book I could get my hands on about God, about the church, about ministry, about church history, anything I could find that would help me better serve God and his church. It was a great time, this first two years of ministry at the Village Church, but I would only be there two years because two years later I was called to serve the, the congregation that I would serve for the rest of my life. I was called to serve as the pastor of the New Park Street Church Chapel in April of 1854. The, the New Park Street Chapel was located in, in, in the Southwick area of London, England. How many of you have ever heard of London? It's kind of a big deal over in England. It's, it's, it's their, their best city. It was a big city with lots of people. And during the time I lived there, almost half the people that lived in London and the surrounding areas weren't born there. They came there from other places. And just like those people that came there from other places, God brought me in from another place to minister to the people there in London. Now, South Ork was a, what was, a, what was a difficult area of the city. It was a rougher part of town, you might say. It was the area where the factories were located, where the people who worked in the factories lived. And as I began to serve the church and the community, it wasn't long before God began to bring more and more people 
into the church. When I became the pastor there, it was a church that was losing people. But God blessed my ministry and began to bring people into the church. In fact, it wasn't long before the church was so full of people that, 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 that people would come in and they would actually sit two people in a chair and then they would have people seated in the aisles and even on the steps that led up to my pulpit. And not only that, the people who couldn't get in and find a place to sit would stand by the windows and listen to God's word being proclaimed. It was a wonderful time, but the members of New Park Street Church knew that something needed to be done. There were more people coming into church, but there was nowhere to put them, so we started to meet in larger buildings, but, but it was very tough on us to not have a place of our own. Once, we, we planned a very large service in, in a building known as the Crystal Palace. It was a huge building that could hold over 23,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's a whole lot of people. And on the day of our service, it was full. Over 23,400 people came to hear the gospel proclaimed. Now back then, we, we, we didn't have microphones and speakers to, 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 to help our voice be heard. I had to preach to over 23,400 people just using the power of my voice. So, so a couple of days before the service, we, uh, we, we went to the building and we wanted to find the best place for me to stand so everyone could hear as I preached God's word and and so we set up a platform in the pulpit and and I stepped into the pulpit to practice and announced behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world I wanted to see how it sounded as I proclaimed God's word but what I didn't realize that that there in the building was a worker having lunch who had been very discouraged and depressed and even was, what, what was not wanting to live anymore. But when he heard that announcement about Jesus being the, the one who takes away the sins of the world, God opened his eyes and he became a Christian. He, w- he went home and he wrestled with, with, with the fact that he was guilty. His sins made him guilty before God, but God had provided a way for him to be saved. So even in that moment of practice, God blessed his word being proclaimed and and saved this young man. He found peace and life by beholding Jesus, the Lamb of God. You see, children, parents, adults, God is the one who ultimately causes people to see their need for Jesus as their Savior. He he had given me the ability to, to speak and to preach well, But it was always God who did the work in changing people's lives and saving them. Throughout my time as a pastor, God blessed my preaching ministry. There was no such things as computers or even the internet. So what we had was called a printing press. We had books. We had pamphlets. We had letters that could be sent out. And my sermons began to be written down and saved and turned into book form. And they were sent all over the world so people could read God's word as I had preached it. 
But being a pastor is more than just about preaching God's word. I told you earlier that our church met in a rougher part of London and and there were many people there who needed to hear about God's love and, and how he sent Jesus to save us. Back then, they didn't have very good hospitals and medicine and a lot of people would get sick and sickness would spread throughout the community and a lot of people would die. And often when that happened, it left children without parents. That was also a time when, when, when adults who owned factories took advantage of children and they would make them come and work at your age. They had to work long hours and not get paid or not get paid very much money. And when I saw how these children were being treated because they did not have parents, it broke my heart. So in 1866, I started what is known, was known as the Stockwell Orphanage, where those children would have a place to come and to be cared for. A place where Christians would, would, would act like parents in their lives and, and teach them about Jesus and love them and, and care for them. Stockwell Orphanage stayed in existence until World War II when it was blown up by a bomb. But immediately after the war, a child care center was built in its place and still exists today. And it's called the Spurgeon Center. So even today, the ministry that I started to children back in the 1800s exists and is going forward. As, as a pastor who never went to school to learn how to be a pastor, I was very aware of the, the struggles and, and, and the, the concerns that I had trying to, to be a faithful pastor. So I decided to, to start what was called a pastor's college where young men could come and, and for free have a place to live and food to eat, but be trained into how to be a faithful pastor. I did this, I started this in 1856. It was called the Pastor's College. And years later, my lectures to these students were, were, were saved and written down and they were turned into a book called Lectures to My Students. Great title, right? And that was published in 1887. And after it was pu- published, my, my wife, Susanna, who I'm going to tell you a little about in just, uh, just a moment, she said, you know, Charles... Wouldn't it be great if every preacher in England could have a copy of your lectures? I said, yes, dear, it would. And so we started a foundation that that, that had enough money to be able to get a copy of my lectures and and give it to every pastor in England who wanted a copy. We wanted to, to serve them well at no cost to them. So that's what we did. Serving the Lord as a pastor was a great privilege and something that I love to do. But serving the Lord as a husband and a father was the source of my greatest joy. When I first became the the pastor at New Park Street Chapel, I, I met a young woman named Susanna. She was beautiful and smart and very unimpressed by the new pastor who just came to town. She wasn't impressed by a pastor whose clothes were old and didn't fit quite right. 
She thought I was too loud and socially awkward. But thankfully, God changed her heart and her mind about those things. We were married on January 8th in the year 1856. And later that year in September, our twins, Charles and Thomas, were born. It, it was an exciting time in our lives. And, and with everything that I've told you, you're probably very tempted to think that I had a very easy life, right? I, I preached and, and people showed up. I, 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 I started a ministry to, to orphans and, and we were able to care for, for many, many children. It wasn't easy. That's very true. Through it all, we faced many, many trials. After the children were born, not long after the children were born, Susanna had to have a medical procedure that ended up not helping her, but hurting her. It made her what was called an invalid. She, her mind was great, but her body would hurt, and, and she could never come to church to hear me preach again. We were in our 20s. We were young. And it fell on me to, to not just pastor a church, but then also to, to care for my wife and my two young children. We faced many, many trials together in our lives. In ministry, even though I was very popular with common people, they, they liked the way I talked. I, I wasn't polished in the same way that some of the pastors in the rich part of London was. I could speak well. I spoke clearly, but I used words they understood. But there were many people, especially reporters, who did not like me. In fact, there were often articles written in the papers which said bad things about me. This didn't surprise me because the Lord warned his disciples that the world would hate them. But, but a more difficult and much longer lasting trial was that early in our marriage, after our sons were born, I had to care for my wife. And so my focus was there. Her mind was sharp. And even as I faced these trials from the outside, these bad things that were being said, she was always faithful to bring me back to God's word. She was always faithful to remind me what was true. But it wasn't just struggles outwardly that I faced. I also struggled inwardly as well. I was not a healthy person. I had something that was called gout, which when that happens, it's very painful. It makes it hard to walk and, and move very well. I had something that was called Bright's disease, which is my kidneys didn't work like they were supposed to. On top of those physical trials, I was also depressed. I was sad. Sometimes my, 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 my children and my wife would find me in my study crying for no reason. I would become very sad. But even with all these pains and struggles, God was faithful every step of the way. The, the trials weren't just early in our lives, but also later in our ministry as well. Later, there were many pastors and churches that, that, that started to, to turn away from God's word as the truth and the authority in its life, much like is happening in your time today. 
And as I saw this happening, I knew I had to use the platform that God had given me where people listened and, and wanted to hear my sermons to speak up and say, that's not right. The church needs God's word. And when I would speak out against the, the, these churches that were moving away from the truth, do you think they were happy about that? No, I lost many friends. This would be a, a controversy that, that, that lasted about the last 15 years or so of my life. In fact, some people say that, that, that the stress and the struggle that, that came from encouraging pastors and, and churches to stay true to God's word, those things added to the problems I already had actually led to my life ending earlier. I passed away at the age of 58 in the year 1892. That is not very old, as many of our 40, 50, and 60-year-olds would say amen to. <laughs> Children, there are many, many more things I could tell you about my life. God was faithful every step of the way. There were amazing trials. I, I could tell you about the new church building that we built for our congregation that was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. I, I could tell you about how my sons grew up in ministry, but we have to end soon, but I will answer a question. Yes. Um, can I ask you a question? If you died, why are you alive? Well, you know, we come back for certain things because Pastor Sam asked us to. I think everybody knows. Everybody but the parents know who's really up here, okay? But before I stop, I do want to challenge you, and I want to challenge you with three important lessons from my life. The first one is simple. Whatever talents and gifts, the things that you're good at, that God has given you, he has given you those gifts so that you can use them to honor him so that you can live in a way that shows the people that know you that you love God. That's why you have them. From a young age, I was a good communicator and God used that after I became a Christian so that others would hear the gospel in my preaching. Secondly, whatever trials, the hard stuff that you face, God is always with you, and he will use it to help you grow and to love him more. Third, you can always trust God's word, and you need it in order to know God better and to live in a way that makes him happy. Oh, wait, there is a fourth. If you have not asked Jesus to save you, forgive you for your sins, to, to, to restore you to a relationship with God. Learn the lesson from the day that I was saved. Look to Jesus who died and rose again for you. He will save you from your sins. He will restore you to God. And he will use your life for his glory. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for this day, and I thank you for the faithfulness of those who have lived before us in serving you, even as they faced very difficult trials. Lord, may we learn not just from 
the life of Charles Spurgeon, but Lord, may we learn of the faithfulness of the God that he served. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for this day in Jesus' name, amen.